You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. This is Rabbi Levi Avzan here, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Chul on the Farbringen every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. Hope you're well. Hope that you're enjoying the beautiful weather today wherever you are. Hope that today so far has brought good tidings and positivity and good energy in your life and that the blessings in our lives should shine and we should feel the tremendous sunshine from God upon us. So, once in a while on the Fabrengan Show, we tackle a small little idea on the Parsha. And due to the fact that the Parsha this week has a theme that connects to what we've been talking the past few weeks, I want to sit on three words of the second of the two Parshas we're going to read this week in the Torah. This week we read the Parsha Acharei and Kedoshim. And in the Parsha of Kedoshim we read the following words. Ve'ahafta l'reacha kamaycha. Love thy neighbor, or thy, thy friend, as, them, as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some of the most famous religious words known across the world. And today we're going to tap, tackle a very simple question. How can a person who doesn't love himself love somebody else? The whole assumption is love your neighbor as yourself. But I don't know. Most people I bump into don't really love themselves. So could it be that so much disunity happens not because we don't love others, but because we don't love ourselves? Interesting question. We're not going to tackle it until we have some nice a cappella music. Craig, we're going to be playing Shivchi Kamayim from 613 a cappella here on 101.9 Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. Love thy neighbor as thyself in uh, the English of 2,000 years ago. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is 101.9 Chai FM, the Farbringen show every Tuesday from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. You could be part of our conversation by SMSing 34519, emailing on air at chayfm.com, tweeting at chayfm, and WhatsApp at 061-895-1019. I hope your afternoon is wonderful. Today we're going to tackle the subject of love your neighbor as yourself. Often the first half of the sentence gets the tremendous focus, and the second half of the sentence doesn't get enough attention. Love your neighbor as yourself. But there's a tremendous assumption in that statement. The assumption is that you love yourself. Huh? Many have argued that today's generation is the generation with the lowest self-esteem in history. A lot of people feel worthless. A lot of people feel not good enough. A lot of people struggle with identity and feeling valued. Maybe that's why there's so many nasty comments on YouTube and God knows wherever else, because some people are just trying to develop an identity by becoming trolls on the media. Regardless, 
many people we bump into, maybe ourselves as well, struggle with identity. And whether it means that we go to therapy, whether it means we go to support groups, whether it means um, that's the healthy version, or whether it means looking for the unhealthy versions, addictions, etc., many, many of us are struggling with an identity and struggling to love ourselves. Now, let's clarify something. Loving yourself is not an act of ego. On the contrary, not loving yourself is an act of ego. I'll repeat. Loving yourself is not an act of ego. Not loving yourself is an act of ego. Why? Because a person who loves themselves, in the truest sense of the word, the way the Torah, the way God intends it, is not loving themselves at the expense of other people. It's not an egoistic love, but rather it's a love of appreciation and awareness that God put me into this world and he knows what he is doing and I am right for the purpose that I am here for. I have the abilities and everything I need in my arsenal in order to fulfill my mission on planet Earth. That's an ultimate act of humility because I'm aware that it's God that gave me everything and that sense of self comes from a sense of godliness. On the other hand, when I don't have the sense of godliness, when I don't feel I'm here for a purpose, so then I just go into this constant self-analysis, what am I, who am I, etc., and I just get very self-absorbed, and then I develop unhealthy self-esteem, which is ego, and I get very defensive. Think about it. Most people who are defensive... It comes from ego. How dare you tell me that? How do you talk to me that way? Defensiveness. Does that come from a healthy sense of self or from an unhealthy sense of self? A healthy person doesn't get defensive when confronted. What are you defending? No, like, what, what do you feel the necess necessity to defend? Why are you so paranoid? Why do you always feel that you have to justify yourself to other people? However, however, the person who's unhealthy, that's what they do the whole day. They're just justifying themselves. They're trying to assert themselves. And the second somebody confronts them, they fall apart or they just go on absolute aggression because that's the way they preserve their feeble, primitive sense of self. So that one of the great ironies of life is that ego is the other side of low self-esteem. And humility is the other side of good self-esteem. In other words, humility and a healthy sense of self are the exact same thing. Ego and a bad sense of self are the exact same thing. Because ego is just a false shell of identity that we create in order to somehow preserve our sense of self. So we create this false, petty, defensive shell that just preserves that very shaky inner love. But a person who's comfortable within their own skin and has a tremendous sense of identity and purpose due to the fact that they believe that God put them onto this world for a reason, 
They have this tremendous humility, but the humility doesn't magnify itself. It doesn't show itself in a way of lack of identity. It actually shows itself by a healthy sense of identity. Humble people aren't meek. Humble people are strong because their sense of self comes from the greatest sense of strength, and that is God. I'm here in this world for a purpose. I have a value system, says this person. And therefore, I am strong. I don't feel better than anybody. I'm not self-righteous. I'm comfortable with myself. That comes from a tremendous sense of self. However, the other person is always telling themselves, I have to defend. I have to be, um, I'm unsure of myself. I'll cave under pressure. The second you put too much pressure on me, I'll cave in because I'm trying to impress. My whole lifestyle is there for me to receive your accolades and your approval. And therefore, as long as society likes me, I'll behave one way. But if that set of values doesn't work, I'll exchange it to another set of values. Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah says that Moses was the most humble person that ever lived. But so was he the most principled person that ever lived. Because humility and principles are the exact same thing. And ego and lack of principles are the exact same thing. On a side topic, which slowly which connects a bit, it always boggles my mind that we say in our generation that there's very few leaders. But think about the way leaders are elected in our time. They have to go and punt themselves for years and years or months and months on the campaign trail. Say how amazing they are. By definition, that's not a healthy sense of self. That is magnifying and trying to sell yourself to others instead of just being true to who you are. So obviously, when they come into the position of power... You're not exactly going to have Mr. Grounded and Mr. Humble up there, or Mrs. Humble or Mrs. Grounded, because how did they get there? They got there by ego. The great leaders of history were not appointed by democracies and that they didn't have to sit there um, selling themselves. They were appointed by just people's buy-in. That means they weren't appointed through voting but rather they just naturally grew into the position through the respect of people around them or the fact that God appointed them to a certain role. So, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a big problem if you don't love yourself. How exactly can you share something you don't have? If you never tasted self-love, can you really share love to another? If you don't show yourself forgiveness, can you forgive another? If you don't show yourself compassion, can you have compassion to the other? If you're very judgmental of yourself, will you not be judgmental of the other? So yes, unity is extremely important. But maybe the key to unity between two people is when each person is unified within themselves. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. We're now going to take a a cappella break. This is Hamalach HaGoel from Kol Zimra. May the angel who protects, who protected our patriarchs and matriarchs protect each and every one of us. Amen. (laughs) 
You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avtsan on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avtsan here on the Farbringen Show 1 to 2 on Tuesdays, Soul to Soul. Craig, how are we doing today? We're good. Fantastic. So just before the break and before that beautiful song, Hamalach HaGoel, we were talking about the issue that often happens with unity between others when we lack unity within ourselves. That famous statement that's accredited to a million different people, I'm not sure actually where it comes from, that you can't change the world unless you change yourself, which is seemingly common sense, um, is the same idea. And that is, if a person who's not at peace within themselves is going to try to create world peace, what kind of peace are you going to create? If you couldn't even find peace in your own psyche, do you think you'll be able to bring peace to the world? The greatest sages in all areas of life, in all races and nationalities and religions, the, the wisest people, the people who made the biggest impact were the people that first of all impacted themselves. In a South African sense, if Mandela didn't make peace within himself, he wouldn't be able to bring peace into a country. Only after sitting in prison and finding forgiveness within his heart was he able to teach a nation to forgive. You cannot impact the world with something that you yourself don't have. How can you teach the world generosity if you're not generous? How can you teach the world forgiveness if you don't forgive those around you? How can you teach the world love if you don't have love within yourself? Love your friend as yourself. There's two parts to this commandment. Love yourself and then love somebody else. And I want to take it to a bit of a, 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 something a bit similar idea, but in a different area of life, and that is in relationships. I've come to believe, and I could be totally wrong, that two healthy people in a marriage, in a relationship, will have very little issues in a relationship. That means most marriage issues are not marriage issues. They're individual issues. In other words, he or she have issues they have to deal with, and it's just manifesting itself in a relationship because relationships bring to the forefront lots of issues that maybe as long as we lived within ourselves, were dormant. But there's very few marriage issues. There's personality issues. Either he or she or both are struggling with their own stuff unresolved stuff, which is then coming into the marriage and, and obviously affecting the marriage. In other words, marital therapy is important. What's even more important is each one of the, the two becoming their best self, whether through work, through therapy, through both, etc. And it will show itself by default in the marriage. The issue is not I struggle to communicate with him or her. The issue is I struggle to communicate with myself. 
The issue is not that I'm, vul- I'm not vulnerable with my spouse. The issue is I'm not vulnerable with myself. I'm not honest with myself. I'm not forgiving to myself. Because if I'm forgiving to myself, I'll be forgiving to my spouse. So one spouse might sit there screaming and saying, oh my gosh, he never forgives me or she never forgives me. Or they're so judgmental of me. Now that's an issue in a marriage. But the first point of call is, do they forgive themselves? Are they judgmental of themselves? Because a person who's non-judgmental of themselves will never be judgmental of their partner. A person who's comfortable loving themselves and has a healthy sense of self will by default have a healthy relationship. As I one time heard the statement say, marriage is only as healthy as the least healthy of the two partners. In other words, it's the non-healthy one who ruins the dynamic because their stuff that they're not dealing with is coming into the relationship. But again, it doesn't start at the relationship. It ends in the relationship, but it starts with my stuff, my own personal stuff that I'm struggling with. So often, like, people will sit there claiming that they have relationship issues, whether it's with their spouse or whether with a child or whether with a parent. But most of the time, it's our stuff that's manifesting itself there. In other words, so let's say the parent grew up for a long time and never had to deal with certain parts of their personality. Let's say... They were more of a simple character and they never really had to dig deep to, to uncover who they are and develop an identity. And then God blesses them with a teenager who's on a road to discovery of self-identity. And mom or dad starts struggling with this teenager because they have no sense of how to communicate with this teenager. And then they sit there running to the therapist or to the guide or to the spiritual guru and they run over and they sit there saying, we're having an issue with your teenager. The question is, is it an issue with a teenager or is it the parent's issue that they never went through their own maturity process and self-discovery and self-identity and now their 16-year-old so-called brat is bringing it out in them? But the 16-year-old is only bringing out something that was always there because had the parent dealt with their own stuff, they would be able to know how to deal with their child. So sometimes we're blessed, I'm not sure if it's a blessing, but we're not forced to confront certain parts of our personality. Let's say our spouse is totally forgiving of our personality, or our child is totally forgiving and understanding of certain faults we have. But what happens when they're not forgiving and they sit there confronting us? The challenge is not to look at it and say it's a relationship issue, it's a growth issue. I, the parent, I, the spouse, I, the child, have to look inside myself and ask myself one simple question. How much work do I have to do within myself, which by osmosis will then solve the relationship issue? I might be wrong, but I believe two healthy people should have minimal relationship issues. Two people who have who work on themselves, who are trying to find and have found some sense of who they are, forgive themselves, are kind to themselves, 
are hospitable, are, just have all the good values within themselves, two such people pretty much can make a relationship work. Yeah, compatibility is nice. Is she my style? Is she not my style? Is he my style? Is he not my style? Those small things are small. I mean, many people, when they date, they make this front and center of their dating. In other words, I'm looking for somebody that has the exact same things as, as the same interests as me. We both like touring. We both like, uh, I don't know, chocolate. We both like the opera. All that stuff, which is nice. It's cute to, to marry somebody who enjoys the opera with you. But gosh, that's not going to make the marriage last. That's a very, very small bonus in the bigger picture. The bigger picture is, I want somebody who's healthy. I want to be healthy. Two healthy people with a, with a good value system, which is similar, will make it work. No matter if one likes opera and the other person closes their ears and falls asleep a second into the opera, whether one likes touring and the other person's more of a homebody, they'll make the relationship work because their values are aligned and because they're both comfortable within themselves and they're not needy for the other person to be like them. Craig, you agree? Instead of asking, where do I find the perfect person to marry? The real, correct question is, how do I become the right person that someone else should marry? In other words, we're often looking for somebody else to be something that we're not yet. The healthier I become myself, the healthier I will attract the correct mate for myself. There's a rabbi in New York, his name is Rabbi Shays Taub, and he has a philosophy, which is a, quite a strong philosophy. He's come here on the Sinai and Daba, and he says, your bashert, that means the person that you're supposed to marry, is the first person you meet after you're ready to get married. It's a bit of a strong statement because you can't meet up with a real weirdo. But the point of the, the there's a lot of truth in that statement as well, and that is that the moment I'm ready, I will attract the right person to me. The healthier I am in myself when I make the decision of who to marry, the healthier the, the, my decision will be who to marry. Whenever I talk to people who are dating, I say, I don't have that much uh, marriage advice. I don't consider myself in any way a marriage guru. But just do me a favor. Make the decision of who you're going to marry when you're at, the, at your best self. Make it out of a space of self-esteem and self-awareness. Don't make it out of a place of neediness and desperation and lack of self-worthiness. Because then you're going to make a decision from an unhealthy space. And the decision of who to marry, the decision of who we could be, who we should be when we marry, has to come from the healthiest sense of self. And in our marriage, we have to bring to the fore our healthiest sense of self. I remember my uncle, before I got married, he turns to me and he says, Levi, marriage is not a panada. Don't think it's going to solve the issues. Whatever issues you're, and whatever stuff you're dealing with is going to be magnified in the marriage. So work on your stuff now, and please God, when God sends you the right person to marry, you'll build a good home. But the solution to our stuff is not a relationship. On the contrary, relationships magnify our stuff. So many people talk of our era 
as a time when relationships are decaying. Gosh, look at the divorce rates. Look at the amount of people that choose never to get married. Look at the amount of people that are married, but the marriage is dysfunctional. And we talk about it as a relationship issue. I'm not sure it's a relationship issue. I think it's the part that most of us struggle with our own stuff. The relationship issues is a symptom, not a cause. Why is there 50% divorce? Or at least a big part of it? Because we're not healthy. We're coming into the marriage with unhealthy ideas and unsolved stuff and emotional baggage and a a weakness of values, etc., etc., and maybe instant gratification, whatever stuff you want to blame it on. That's a different conversation. But the point is, it's the stuff that I and she bring into the marriage that will either build the marriage or destroy the marriage. But it's not a relationship issue. It's a personal issue. So so many good movements around town and around the world are trying to tackle marriage. And 100% there's tremendous value on talking to people about the beauty of making a relationship work. But at the same time, it has to be a, a call for each and every one of us to become our best selves because that's the best solution to any relationship issue. If I access within myself my my higher self, my higher value system, and I live up to the code in which I've bought into, and my wife lives up to the code that she bought into, the relationship will work regardless if we're so-called compatible or not. But you talk to the people in the dating world, and they're, I'll be honest, often they're looking for the biggest nonsense. We want to know if we're compatible. What is that supposed to mean? How much compatibility do you actually need for a marriage? I want to spend four years together to make sure that we're perfect, only to discover two months after the marriage that you actually never were. But irrelevant, that whole philosophy that marriage is a, is a art of compatibility in anything other than values is ridiculous. In the words of a rabbi I read, he, he wrote a book about marriage, a rabbi from Israel. He says pretty much, Two healthy people can make a marriage work regardless the backgrounds, regardless of so much other stuff. In other words, technically, any healthy person can marry any healthy person. Yes, there's obviously an added benefit. We try to find someone that's as compatible as possible. But ultimately, two healthy people can make a relationship work. But one person or two people that are unhealthy, no matter how compatible they are, they don't stand a chance. Here on 101.9, Chai FM. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM, and we're really talking about the core of a fundamental issue, and that is the inability to share something with somebody else that we don't have ourselves. To work on yourself. We live in a generation that everyone wants to save the world, right? I mean, gosh, we live in the most empowering generation, social media. And it's interesting, in the past year or two, pretty much since the American elections and the advent of fake news and other stuff, it's the first backlash I've seen against the huge revolution that happened with the advent of internet, etc. Slowly but surely, there's a, there's a real... Society is coming to terms with the fact 
that Facebook is awesome and Google is awesome and Amazon is awesome and Apple is awesome and Samsung is awesome, but it's come with a huge price. And we allowed them to take over our lives too much. And that all the addictions that we developed, all this technology was maybe there to avoid our own inner stuff. And I have to say, it's, 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 it's actually heartwarming to see, not to have anything against these companies, but we, we lost our balance. We lost our balance and we were so absorbed as a society in all these new amazing technologies that we, we, we forgot that the most growth has to happen inward. And, and the most growth is not all about changing the world. I mean, Facebook, everybody's trying to get a million friends and trying to share the deep epiphanies of life, right? Every single meme that you get, you forward on Facebook and WhatsApp to sit there forwarding every inspirational thing to all your WhatsApp groups. And if you're more of a macher, then you're on YouTube and you're making videos and you want everyone to, to listen to you, etc., etc. All these incredible mediums to to broadcast our messages. And each and every person today has been given a microphone and they could reach more people than pretty much even the smartest and most prolific author could have 500 years ago. Think about it, 500 years ago, if you wanted to share your ideas, you had to give a few speeches. Books were impossible to afford, so you made a few copies of them. Today, every little Tom, Dick, and Harry can sit there selling whatever they want. But at what cost? Everyone, you know, you stand and you, uh, you go on YouTube and you watch these commencement speeches. And it's pretty much a commencement speech if you've never watched it. The definition is they find someone who's been very successful in this life, in the profession, in the arts, in money-making, etc., in intelligence. And they invite them to give a commencement speech to the graduating class of university. And lots of them have gone viral, whether it's Steve Jobs 2005, Mark Zuckerberg last year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of commencement speeches. And pretty much the, the, the theme of the speeches are all the same. You are the generation that's going to save us. Go out and change the world. You have everything you need that will transform our world and you'll make this world a better place. You have been given the best education by Harvard or Witts or Stanford, and now you are there to take the world over. And everyone stands and gives a major round of applause and pumps their chests and says, us 22-year-olds, we really have all the solutions for life. <clears throat> really? Maybe, just maybe, too many of us are trying to change the world, and too few of us are trying to change ourselves. We have so many causes. I mean, think even... In this country, a gazillion movements, political movements, religious movements, um, unions, every movement possible. And the movements are awesome. Nothing against it. But how many of us, instead of trying to change everyone else, are first and foremost trying to change ourselves and through osmosis changing others? How many of us, instead of running to fix our spouse, are trying to fix ourselves? How many of us, instead of running and fixing our teenager, are trying to fix ourselves and how we relate to our teenager? How many of us are looking at the world's issues and instead of seeing it world as issues, we're seeing it as our own stuff to work through? Look inward. How can we teach the world something that we don't have? Think about it now. Like Mark Zuckerberg was brought in front of uh, the Senate and Congress in the United States, 
and asked to explain a lot of different stories that happened with Facebook. You might have been following the news. And pretty much he says, that was a mistake and that was a mistake and we should have done better, etc., etc. Now, I have nothing against Mark. I think he's awesome. He's my fellow Jew from New York and he's actually just a few months older than me. And um, But here's what happened. We had a bunch of guys and girls who not necessarily figured out their own value system. I mean, Mark was in Harvard and he was 1920 when he created a platform that within 13, 14 years has two, over 2 billion people on it. Now, before he built this platform, did he fully figure out his own value system? What's hate speech? What's not? What's freedom of speech? What's my values? Am I a liberal? Am I a conservative? What will I stand for? What's important? How will I make sure that my, the data isn't taken by companies like Cambridge Analytica, etc.? Did he think all that stuff too? No. Then it happens. And everyone's like, how did it happen? Obviously, because they ran to change the world before they figured themselves out. And so is so much of technology. Technology has grown on us so quickly, ridiculously quickly, that most of us never said, how does technology actually align with my life? Is WhatsApp good for my marriage? Is YouTube good for my sanity? How much of it? How little of it? How do I make sure to use it instead of it using me? No, we've just embraced technology. We've embraced smartphones like nobody's business. We've fallen into this like an absolute love affair. Oh, gosh, Samsung 7 wasn't good enough. Give me a Samsung 8, Apple X. I need that, et cetera, et cetera. I just need, I need, I need I, a new app. Let me download a new app. And we're just trying to take it all in and impact the whole world and let the whole world impact us. Like, whoa. Sometimes when we try to change the world too quickly, we can hurt the world more than we could save it. Think about so many political movements, even in this country. How many political movements in this country are actually good for the country? Are actually good for the people that they're trying to, that claim they're trying to help? Not many. Why? Because they're just grabbing on slogans and ideas that not necessarily are good for the people they claim to protect. And that's most of politics the world over. Let's change. Let's move from one extreme to the other. Let's move to the left. Let's move to the right. Let's move to open borders. Let's move to closed borders. Everyone just swinging as if it's some joke. Without realizing, like... Dude, before you get up and sit there pontificating to, to, to 50 million people what you think the solution to the country's problems are, and before you sit there going to um, marketing gurus, how to market, do you actually spend enough time within yourself to know that this idea is healthy within your own life? Have you worked on it within yourself? Have you done enough growth to make sure that the ideas you're coming for, coming with, don't come from malice and don't come from hatred, but come from a healthy sense of self? Do you know that? Only then can we change the world. Only then can I build a marriage. When I bring into the marriage stuff that I've worked through and within myself. But when I look outward, before I look inward, I usually become more destructive than constructive. This is 101.9 High FM here on Soul to Soul. You're listening to the Farbringen with Rabbi Levi Avzan on 101.9 High FM. So here's an interesting message from Cynthia. She says, hi, Rabbi. I just saw a saying, pain runs through families until someone is ready to feel it. 
I come from a generation where our parents were pressured into marriage, making a good impression. Hence the dysfunction. Cynthia, thank you for your comment. Obviously, there's truth to every statement. Pressured into marriage to make a good impression. Again, I would argue that marriage, maybe they did marry prematurely, but marriage just magnified their own stuff. In other words, maybe they, they married too quickly, maybe they didn't figure out what they're getting married for, but ultimately what created the dysfunction in the home wasn't the marriage. It was each one or one of them's dysfunction. There's a beautiful statement that says that the best way to bring redemption to our world is to bring redemption to ourself. The Lubavitcher Rebbe used to repeat often that all it takes is one, two, or three people who really care about bringing redemption into their own life and bring re- that, that will bring redemption to the world. In other words, maybe the solution to redeem our world is just all that energy or many, most of that energy that we're throwing outward to focus inward and change the world that way. And I'm not saying to become hermits. And I'm not saying lock yourself up in yeshiva and don't impact the world. What I'm saying is let's work on ourselves at least as much as we try to work on the world because we will only change the world if we change ourselves, And we'll only bring positive change if we are positive. How can I bring optimism to other people if I'm a pessimist? How can I bring passion to other people about the religion if I'm lacking in passion? How can I bring love into my marriage if I don't have love within myself? Love your neighbor as yourself. There, last week we spoke about part one of that sentence. Love your friend. Today we spoke about the second part of the message. Love yourself. Come, Meicha, like you. In the words of Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Lubavitch, he said that you could only love somebody else if you love yourself. You have to love yourself first. And he used to say that the, the prohibition against gossip is not only gossip on other people. It's a prohibition against gossip about yourself. We often talk about Lashon Hara as if it's an issue between one person and the other, but often it's an issue between me and myself. I put down myself and I'm self-deprecating, not in a cynical, funny way, but in a, in some way, in a genuine way, and I put myself down and I make myself feel worthless. And the truth is, if we stop talking gossip about ourselves, we would talk, stop about others. In other words, if we had a healthy sense of self, you wouldn't need to put down others to develop a sense of self. It's our stuff within ourselves that brings out all un- the unfortunate stuff that we have with others. So to wrap it all up, Craig. Avoida. To work. Im'atzmai, with ourselves. To work with ourselves, to really develop within ourselves our value system, our sense of self, our faith, our trust, our courage, our passion, our compassion, etc. Bring it all together within ourselves and try to make ourselves more wholesome. And through that, our relationships, our impact, 
and our world becomes a much better place. Wishing you a great week. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Next week's the public holiday. Wishing you a great day, a great afternoon, and may we all be blessed with compassion, love, and blessing. Have a great week.